So we're in this series, uh, coming back to it, Gospel Clarity Amidst Cultural Confusion. You can see it there on the screen. It's taking us through the, the book of 1 Corinthians. And the, the big idea around this series, I would say, is to equip us with biblical clarity amidst the cultural confusion um, and, and the unbiblical ideas that are in culture and the beliefs of culture that are, are opposed to biblical clarity so that we're strengthened to follow the way of Jesus. That, that really is what the big idea is. We want to be strengthened and equipped to follow the way of Jesus amidst a culture where increasingly there is confusion and madness and all sorts of just weird stuff happening. Um, last week, Gene, he was here, and, and uh, if you were here, it was great. He spoke and, and he talked a little bit about our responsibility to have a biblical worldview as followers of Jesus. And, and he talked about ideologies that have taken root in our culture that direct our thinking. Um, and and he, one of the things he said is he said, having a biblical worldview is not so much a suggestion, but a necessity for our lives. And I, that really stuck with me. I, we've talked about biblical worldviews around here. We, I think that's something that we've, a term that we've used quite a bit. Um, listening to a sermon, coming and listening to a sermon for 45 minutes once a week, if I can just say this, will not constitute you having a biblical worldview. That that will not give you a biblical worldview. I, I hope that what we're doing here, I hope it helps you. I hope it equips you. Um, I hope it's helping and growing you. Yes to all that. But we are immersed quite literally in a culture that is embracing just all sorts of belief systems that are in total opposition to a biblical worldview. And so if your plan is to offset that influence that you were immersed in by listening to a message for 45 minutes a week, do you see the imbalance? Like, like the, everywhere we go, we are immersed in a culture that is not going to equip you to follow Christ. So I say that because making time in the word of God is central to our lives, absolutely central. Reading, studying, memorizing, reading through the entirety of your Bible, like actually reading through your, the, the whole thing once a year is great. Read through your Bibles, learning how God moves, learning how he works in his people. It's absolutely necessary if we're going to be equipped with a biblical worldview. We have to know who the God of the Bible is. We have to read how he's moved and how he's worked and how he moves and works through his people. So I, I say that because when I, when I speak of gospel clarity, and we use that term for this series, it's another way of just talking about a biblical worldview being formed in us. That, that's what we're talking about. So I also want to pick up on something that Gene said last week about ideologies. He, he talked about ideologies becoming so ingrained in us um, in culture that they're almost, they're not even seen as ideologies anymore. Like it, he, he talked about how we, there's certain things where we're like, well, it's just so obvious, right? Do you remember that? Remember Gene talking about that? He's like, where it's just something, it's like, it's just so obvious, like that's just the way it is. Well, do we step back and go, well, what, why is that? And so we have ways of thinking in our culture that it's like, it's just second nature. Like this is just the way our society thinks. 
And it's very timely for 1 Corinthians and some of what Paul's addressing in this letter and for what we encounter in 1 Corinthians 4, which is where we're going to be this morning. Um, ways of operating relationally in the church that are maybe commonly accepted or they've sort of come to be, well, this is just what happens and, and yet are not healthy or helpful in welcoming the move of God's spirit amongst us. So that's, that's sort of the, the preamble. Let's, uh, let's get into 1 Corinthians 4 and let's read this together. So 1 Corinthians 4, we're going to read through the entirety of the chapter and then we'll, we'll pick up some things in it. So Paul says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst, and are, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world and the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Lord Jesus, I ask this morning that you would help us to understand the depth of these words and what you have for us this morning. Lord, we want everything that you have for us to make us be imitators of you. We want to imitate you, Jesus. We want to be like you. We want to be more like you. And we want to learn how as a, a church together, how as a body of people, we can function in a way that is healthy and loving. Lord, we lift you up. We ask you 
to be with us as we go through this text this morning. Amen. So the, the title that, uh, that I've chosen this morning that Dwayne prepped you for is The Gut Punch of Judgment. I think we can all identify at some point or another with that feeling in our gut when it feels like your stomach drops and someone just like, just boom, delivered one to your midsection. And you just, you know what I mean? You know what feeling I'm talking about? That just the, oh, that, that like really low feeling. And that feeling is very pronounced in relationships where, where we feel betrayed, where we feel exposed, where we feel let down, where we feel abandoned, where we feel accused. It's, it's like the sucker of all sucker punches for us. Here's, here's the reality. We have, and like many churches, had more than our fair share of judgment over the years. Amongst us, amongst people, there has been judgment that has come, that has been accusations. We've experienced many different situations where people have felt judged, some accurate, some misguided. Various leaders have felt the brunt of this. People in the church have felt the brunt of this. People in the church have left. People in the, that is the reality of what has happened. It is a gut punch. It can come out of nowhere. It can come up you like you're not expecting it at all, and it feels like someone just levied a punch to your midsection. I think it's really real, and I think that it's really, really something that a lot of churches actually have to work through. And Paul's talking about it here. He's talking about it with the Corinthians. Maybe you're like, well, I've never experienced that here. Wonderful. I really am glad if you haven't. But you maybe I've experienced that in other churches. I've come from somewhere where I've experienced that. Or I've, I've whatever, way back. It's just, there's, there's, there's just, for all of us here, there's a litany of stories of what we have walked through being part of churches. This, this is the painful reality of the church. And if you're here long enough, you're probably going to experience something along these lines. And I'll tell you why. Because the church is full of people who are broken, who are dealing with sin, who are trying to work through their junk, and are th going through the process of becoming more like Jesus. That is not something that we should shy away from. It's not something that I want to pretend isn't there. And I, I want to be real about that as we are together, that this is... If you are in a church long enough, you will experience where something says someone or you feel judged or you feel misunderstood and ugh, it is church life. This, so this is what Paul encountered at Corinth. Um, this is what he continued to hear about in part. He'd, he'd been hearing about this that influenced the writing of this letter. This is part of why he wrote 1 Corinthians and what we have. And what, what Paul was attempting to do for the Corinthians and what, he, what God desires for us, I believe, is to show us a different way to live. He's saying there is a different way to live, people. This is how God, this is what he has for us. So 
it would be fantastic. We are here together. We're hearing this message. Those of you who might be listening to it after online, and we're, we're, we're sitting under the word, and we're listening to what Paul has to say here, the Apostle Paul. And everyone in LCF who's, who's heard it, from this day forward, none of us will ever feel judged again. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be ideal? That we go away from here and we never have to deal with feeling judged ever again. It, it, but it, it is not reality. That is not reality. In a utopian world, in the future when Jesus returns, yes. In the here and now, it's not very likely. You, there might be something said after, right after today, that you misunderstand and you've got to battle through, I feel judged. So this is why the pursuit of love with one another is so crucial. Um, Paul talks about it. 1 Corinthians 13 is, is central to this whole letter. Uh, he makes love central. So, and I think the reason that he's doing that with the Corinthians and why it's there for us is what is going to sustain relationship when wounds are made? That's a very, very important question. So what I want to do this morning is I want to try and unpack a little of what was happening in Corinth here uh, from details that we know. Provide us with clarity in these verses for how we respond to judgment from others and how do we keep ourselves from participating in judgment against others? Both sides of those things. So here's, now here's a side note. As long as the church continues to follow the way of Jesus, there will always be resistance and pressures from the outside culture toward the church. Always. We are always going to face resistance as long as we are committed to following the way of Jesus. We are going to come up against things in culture that are really going to put pressure on the church. As long as we strive to live by the word of God in a culture of ungodliness, you're going to have this. But that's not the point, totally. Because what happens here, what's happening inside the church, people, is vitally important. Because what's going to happen out there is going to happen out there. What's happening in here is vitally important for us. Because what, what Paul's getting at in these verses is... How we are living relationally with one another is going to have a massive impact on our faith and it's going to have a massive impact on our witness. Those are two things that he's very, very concerned about with the Corinthians. How are you doing in your faith and how are you doing in reaching others? And we're going to get in the back half of 1 Corinthians. He really gets into that. Like, how are we as the body of Christ, how are we as a church, a local church, how are we reaching others with the gospel? We, we've got to wrestle with that. So how we're doing here with one another has a massive impact on that. We know that there's divisions that are developed in Corinth. There, there was these groups, these splinter groups that, are, that were, were kind of breaking off and they were following the different leaders, right? I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. Uh, there was all these groups. And now Paul reveals, he's like, there's those within those groups in the body that they're now judging him. That... There's this judgment, this, these accusations coming against him. We don't know precisely exactly why, but we can see clues here from what Paul is, is 
uh, writing and saying. We know Paul had said that he came to Corinth in fear and trembling, that he had come in weakness to the city, and that didn't go over with the culture of Corinth. I, I've, I've mentioned that before, but cult, Corinth loved um, intellectual superiority, they loved wealth, they loved affluence, they were a happening city. How Paul came it would not have fit well with even the church. And we see that in the letter. He didn't operate with the coolness that the Corinthians wanted. Really, he wasn't cool. They wanted a leader who was going to be hip to where they were going. And he didn't play to that. He didn't display the image of success, wealth, the affluence that this Corinthian culture, what they praised and what, and what people desired there in that city. What the Western church craves what our culture loves, Paul didn't get on board with. And so, Paul's got passion for the church, but despite that passion, Paul's now the target of, of those who are, they're saying nasty stuff about him. Like, they're just leveling nasty accusations against him. People reacting out of their hurt and hurting others. You ever been on the other end of that in the church? People just saying stuff that is unbased. Pronouncing opinions, expectations, convictions, hurts, frustrations, go down the list, against others in the church. Just, we know the list. This shouldn't be, but it can be the experience in the body. This is the stuff that was happening in Corinth. And, and perhaps... In these situations, when we come up against this, our, our reaction, our inclination is to withdraw. I, I, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I, I just don't want to deal with that, so I'm going to withdraw. I, I'm going to go to a place that is safe for me because I cannot deal with the stuff that's happening in the church. That, that happens with people. We, we don't, either we don't know how to deal with it or we don't want to deal with it. And, and I, would, I would suggest that judgment in the church from like small stuff to big stuff. And that, <laughs> that's, that's a wide like plane. There can be really small stuff and really big stuff. But I would suggest that judgment in the church or the feeling of being judged, it is one of the biggest challenges that the church consistently deals with all the time, throughout all of church history, this has been something that's been there. How do we treat one another? And, and how, how do we possibly hope to reach those around us with the hope and the love of Jesus if this is happening? How do, you, how do we possibly think that those two things are going to work? And I think that's what Paul saw in Corinth. He's like, you guys are supposed to be reaching out and making disciples of Christ. And you're squabbling and you have these groups and you're, you're judging one another. And he's going, you're judging me. What's going on? So we need to be real and honest about this stuff. Now, another question in this discussion that comes up. Why are judgments in culture of others against us such a big deal to us? Like, really, why do we care so much about what others think about us? 
Why do I care so much about what someone else's opinion might be about me? That's an interesting thing to go down that road. Because we, why are we so impacted by what someone else might or might not think about us? Here's, what I, here's why I believe, this is why I think we battle with this. Because the ideology of hyper-individualism has taken such deep root in our culture that again, going back to what Gene said last week, we don't even realize it's an ideology anymore. But because we, we are just so fixated on self. Me, me, at the center of my life has become the norm of culture. It, that is just the way it is. This manifests as my happiness, which now we define as pleasure. So, so what is bringing me pleasure, i.e. what's making me happy? What's bringing me comfort? Where are my beliefs? Um, my beliefs are the most important pursuit and the most important factor. So what I believe and what I want to pursue, that's really now really, really important. And so we've accepted this secular idea of me at the center. We're, we're free to choose what is best for me. Doesn't matter what's happening with others. What is best for me? And it, it comes out of actually the belief that there's no God. That's actually where this whole idea started. The whole idea started in the Enlightenment and the idea in the, of the enlightenment was there's no God. And so if there is no God, then me at the center of the universe makes total sense because it's all about my survival and my pleasure, and, right? So it's, therefore, it's up to me to determine what is best for me and where I find purpose. It's all about me. We are constantly told, just, just as you turn on the TV, just... Think about this as you watch ads, as you watch ads on YouTube, as you scroll social media, as you're, whatever, seeing billboards, whatever, because media is everywhere. Think about this. The main idea is, that's always communicated, is you get to choose the life you want. It's up to you. You get to choose whatever you want. So you all better get on board with what I want. Because my little circle is really important. This is everywhere. And it's, it's just so obvious. Right? I, I need to take care of myself. It's obvious. Like, don't I need to take care of myself? So I need to make sure that I'm healthy and happy. Because if I'm healthy and happy, then I can take care of others once I'm happy and healthy. Except what happens is it's a lie because me being happy and healthy means I just become fixated on myself and the rest of you, it doesn't really matter. Maybe my little like family circle will matter. Outside of that, doesn't matter. That is how many, many, many people in our society live now. It's me, it's maybe my immediate family. The rest of you, doesn't matter. So, what this fixation leaves us with or leads us to is this. People must accept, agree with, and celebrate my choices. You have to celebrate. You have to be on board with what I choose and what I want. This is the driving force in culture. You have to agree with me. Those who don't agree with me, those who don't agree with my choices, you're dead to me. And I will attack you, and I will pursue you, and I will hunt you through whatever form because you don't get on board with me. That is the 
that is the culture around us. And that has permeated the church as well. What I mean is this ideology of me at the center and in control of my life is paramount. So I didn't like worship today. Well, is worship about you? There's a hard question in the church. Well, I didn't really, I, didn't, I don't know, I didn't really like how, what Paul said today. Well, is this, is this all about you? See, it's, it's ingrained in how we think. It is, it is, it's obvious. And the thing is, this completely is counter to the gospel that says that you have to die to self. That in order to live for Christ, you have to have complete surrender, that nothing remains, that I surrender my life and my want, and I am, I am surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. That doesn't fly with me at the center. So, the accusation of, I feel judged, can also be a power play of, I don't want you to talk to me about things that I need to be confronted with in my life. And as soon as you want to talk to me about something that I don't want you to talk about to me, you're judging me. See, I, I consider, consider what Paul just said to the Corinthians just a, like a chapter earlier, 1 Corinthians 3. He's saying, I can't regard you as spiritual people. You're infants in Christ. You, you are not living the way you're supposed to live. And now he's saying this and the Corinthians are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're, they're hearing this red and they're like, whoa, Paul. Hold on, you're judging us. You, you, you feel judged, you're judging us. So, not, do you see what's going on here? Paul's confronting things. It's easy to throw the power play of you're judging us. Because clearly Paul, throughout his letters, and through this letter, he sees the need for confrontation and accountability in the church. That's clear just because we feel judged actually doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. So that's the other side. So the, here's the question that we need answered. How do we free ourselves from the temptation to judge? How do we respond when we feel the gut punch of judgment come against us? What do we do with that? So I want to I give us three ways quickly here this morning that how we counter when this comes at us. When judgment comes and we feel it and maybe you don't feel it right now but there's times where you feel it and it's overwhelming and you feel really vulnerable. How do you counter that in your life? And how does it also free you from the temptation to judge others? And we all have to be honest here too. We all feel the temptation. Every single one of us feels the temptation to judge others because it's easy. So number one, we embrace humility. Paul says in verses one to five that he says, I'm not, I'm not going to get caught up in what others think about me. He says, ultimately, I actually have to answer before the Lord. Ultimately, it's about what the Lord is going to say to me. He's saying, there he's saying, I, I don't believe I have anything to repent for, but that doesn't actually mean that the Lord won't reveal it to me. So, now we could take these verses and we could turn it into a powerful 
manifesto for our lives of, you don't judge me, only God judges me. Don't you even go near me with anything because it's the Lord who judges me. You don't have any, right? We could, we could turn these verses into that. I'm not going to be accountable to anyone. Many Christians can live that way. But from the whole of, of this chapter, what we read, I don't think Paul has that attitude at all. He's responding to accusations and he's appealing to the Lord in humility and he's modeling it for the Corinthians. Because the church in Corinth was operating in pride, they were operating in arrogance, and these attitudes that they had were triggering their judgment of others. We see it all throughout the thread of the letter. They were arrogant in who they were, and they were reacting with one another. And Paul counters this with ca- by cautioning them, don't be quick to judge and assess. Don't be quick to jump and we've, and we've all been guilty of that too in our lives. We have all been guilty of being quick to jump to something and make a determination on something when we are wrong. And he says the Lord discloses the heart. Leave it in the Lord's hands. The problem is that we have, the real big problem we have, if you're like me, is we like to assess We like to have all sorts of running assessments of people and situations and what's really going on and we're going to make our, that's the tension that we deal with in the church. We like to come to conclusions that justify our feelings and our attitudes. And Paul, he actually gets combative with the Corinthians on this point. Maybe you don't, we can't suddenly see it when we're reading it, but when you pull back and and you see what he's doing here in the Greek, he's actually getting combative with them. First, he says, he said, I've made uh, Apollos and myself accountable to live differently. We are actually saying we're accountable to live differently. And then he confronts these elitist ideas, attitudes that are present in the church, thinking that we're better than one another. And he says, who sees anything different in you? Like he's saying, you're to appear and to live different. Who, who is seeing anything different in you than what's happening in the culture? We're not, he's saying you're not to live like the rest. So just before Jess and I got married and after, I, I connected with an older guy in our church at the time. I can't even remember how we, how we got connected. I was trying to remember this. Um, but we began meeting consistently. And... Uh, he wasn't one of the pastors um, of, in the church, but he, he just had a way of, of speaking into my life and graciously confronting me, um, probably in things that he saw in me. I, I'm assuming he saw things was like in Paul, that Paul needs more of Jesus. Um, and, but he was, he, was, he was wonderful to just connect with. Uh, and to this day, I just, I, I, I so appreciate that when he confronted me, he didn't let me off the hook on stuff. And, and he gave me a note. I have this note to this day around this verse here in verse 7. And, and on the note, he said, this is my favorite stay humble verse. Like, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you have received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Like, it's like, that's like, the, and, and when he gave this to me, I thought, he's right, like, this is the ultimate stay humble 
verse. I've, and I've, I've got it in the, in the margins of my Bible with his name. Like this is, I need to remember this. But there, there is nothing that we can boast about that didn't come from God. Nothing. Don't, don't think too much about yourself. This is the kind of humility when truly embraced, and again, not just for show, but truly embraced, will keep us from judging and sustain us when we feel judged. Humility allows us to receive correction, to, to trust in God when we feel unjustly targeted, and that may happen, and to pursue change when we're confronted with sin in our lives. How do you, how do you change when you are confronted with something in your life that needs to change? How do you deal with that? Second way we encounter this, this gut punch of judgment, and that is that we, we imitate Jesus. Verse 8, it, it, it actually sees Paul, he actually reverts to sarcasm with the Corinthians here. So he's, he's not being nice in verse 8. He's actually getting really prickly, if you will, with them. Because he's confronting these misguided pursuits of them and reminding them, you need to free yourself from the bondage of judgment. You are judging me. You're judging others. There's divisions in the church. You've got to get free of this. And, and through his words, we see that it was, they were operating with coveting. They wanted what others had. They, were, they wanted the pursuit of wealth and affluence and those were the things that were driving their judgment of Paul. That's why Paul says there, like, you already have all that you want. You've already become rich. He's getting really sarcastic with them. And, and what Paul's doing is saying, you want all this, and yet you already have everything you need. Everything you need is in Christ. You don't have need of anything. But if we live as the world lives for this selfish pursuit of the here and now, and we're not living for eternity, what will happen? We'll inevitably we'll fall into the same patterns of pride. We'll inevitably fall into the same patterns of the, the tr things that trigger judgment of others. One, one of the books that I've been reading recently um, about God's heart for renewal in the church, it makes the point that when speaking a uh, of the danger of craving affluence, that, this is what he says there, we can wish and desire for renewal, yet do so with divided hearts, thus living out patterns of worship that undermine renewal. Here in these verses, Paul, he points to himself and what God has revealed to him as the model to live. And he's basically saying, follow me. Follow my example. And then, he, and you know, I read verses 10 to 13. I think it's on the screen there. Yeah. Like, I read those words and I go, oh boy. Those are, those are oh boy, oh wow kind of words and verses. Because what Paul is doing here, he's heaping on the sarcasm. This is how we're living for Christ. But you Corinthians, you've got it made. He's like, you're strong, you're wise, you're held in honor. Man, you, you've got it. And then he's like, not like us. Us, apostles, we're scum. He says, we're scum. 
or nothing. It, when, you, when you look at the, the words that Paul's using there in the Greek, like he is saying we are the lowest of the low. We, we are just garbage because we have decided to give everything for following Christ. You see where that just doesn't align with a culture that goes pursue wealth, affluence, comfort, notoriety, make it all about you. And Paul's saying, that's not the reality. Prideful spirituality, we've, the idea like we've got it together. We can come to church on Sunday. We've, I've got it together. I'm, I'm doing good. I've got it together. Anything like that that is the basis of it is pride stifles desperation and hunger for God. It will leave you going, I don't need anything more. And Paul contrasts that with how the apostles were treated. They were a spectacle to the world. He said we were publicly humiliated. That was the greatest horror to the Corinthians. The greatest horror to the Corinthians is what Paul is speaking about here. They wanted to be held in honor, to be made much of, to have Jesus, but also be living in culture and not have to really suffer for it. And what Paul was preaching was a strange paradox. He's like, we are kings, we are destined to rule, we are seated with Christ right now, and yet we are disregarded and we're looked upon in the world with contempt. That's the paradox. So there, there is an aspect to following Jesus, a significant factor. Please hear me in this. We have to become losers to follow Jesus. Yeah. You've actually got to become a loser. Being a loser is one of like, I don't want to be a loser. You go into school, being called a loser is one of the biggest accusations. Paul's saying, you want to follow Christ? You have to be a loser. What I mean by that is, we have to give up worrying what others will think about us. You care about what others are going to think about you all the time? You're going to get really caught up in stuff. We have to love Jesus and his way far more than the praise or the acceptance of others. If you are consumed with the acceptance of others, you will not be consumed with Jesus. So if image, popularity, and the need for earthly success, if that's a must-have for you, like I've got to have that, you will struggle to follow the way of Jesus. That's what Paul's touching on with the Corinthians. Imitating the way of Jesus is what keeps us from walking in judgment towards others and finding comfort when we are unjustly treated like garbage. Paul is treated like that. Jesus meets us in the hard things. All right, lastly, the last way that we counter the gut punch of judgment is to raise up fathers. So after contrasting how the Corinthians see themselves and the experience of the apostles, Paul, he immediately makes the point. He said, guys, church in Corinth, this isn't about feeling shame. I am not doing this to make you, to just heap on shame on you. But I, he wasn't making any secret. He said, I have to admonish you. I'm, he wasn't making any secret. You need to be rebuked. But I'm not heaping shame on you. 
Do we see the difference there? What Paul's doing here? It's not, it's not shame. And the issue that Paul brings to their attention is he says, you have a need for fathers. And, and that word that he uses there for admonish, it means to receive instruction, to be warned if when we're getting sidetracked. So he's saying, Corinthians, you're getting sidetracked. You need to see that you need fathers in your midst. He says, sure, like you've got countless guides in Christ, but that's not what you need. You need fathers. That word that he uses there for countless in the Greek, it, uh, it refers to 10,000 as a number. So he was, Paul's purposely using a big number, and he's saying, you've got just a huge number of guides, but you need fathers. I was reading an article this week about the rise of faith in NHL teams. And that there's this move, actually, of, with chaplaincy programs on NHL teams. One of the teams had, like, 12 guys meeting with their chaplain. And there's this, like, this hunger, actually, that's, that's happening in some teams for more of God. And they're seeking, and they're, they're meeting in these discipleship groups, and they're meeting to pray and to read books and to study Scripture. And I was like, this is cool. One of the things that, that I was grieved, though, in, in, in talking, some of the guys, several of them said, but we don't see any need for being part of a local church because we've got videos, we've got podcasts, and, you know, faith is a private thing anyway, so we don't really need to be part of a body. And I was like, oh, guys, you're missing it. We have countless guides that fill up social media feeds. We, we can follow thousands of leaders and visionaries now through social media. You can have just a stream of them fill the, your social media feeds. And we can have hundreds, thousands of, of people, individuals, giving us their advice in 144 characters or less. Right? They, they fire off. This is what you need. And they're not, they're not bad. Well, okay. They might be. Some might be. Some might be actually not good. But whatever, whether they're good, or whether they're not fathers. They're not. Fathers lead, direct, model, protect, call to account, provide balance. There, there is a crisis in society. There's a crisis in the church when it comes to fathers. We need fathers. We need men to lead as fathers. We need men who will model God the Father for the church. Think about God the Father. He, it serves him nothing to save sinners. He, God doesn't need us, but he desires to bring salvation to us, to make our lives better. That's what fathers do. God sacrificed himself for the good of others. That's what a father does. This is what we need in the church. Men who embrace this responsibility, men who embrace this call to be spiritual fathers. Fathers who rise above the ways of the world. So Paul, he's not, he's not talking here about fatherhood in a, a biological sense. He's talking about spiritual fathers who've been raised up to lead in the church. And he's saying, Corinthians, you need this. This is what you need. 
men who are transformed by the power of the gospel and begin to lead in the church. That's what he's talking about here. And spiritual fathers, they have, they have such an impact because they call others to imitate them. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, imitate me. I became a father to you. Imitate me. Not, not in a demanding, arrogant manner, but out of a conviction. Paul's saying, I want to raise, I want you to see sons and daughters raised up in the church. That's Paul's heart. I want to see people being raised up. We need fathers. Alvin Fry was one of those. Some of you don't even know who Alvin Fry is. Um, but he was in this body for many years, and Alvin was a spiritual father. Alvin was regarded as a spiritual father in this body. That didn't end when Alvin went to be with Jesus. That was, that was never God's intent. God's intent was, if, if, Alvin, if it's Alvin's time to leave this earth, there's other men who need to be raised up as spiritual fathers. There's always, always, always a need for spiritual fathers in the church. I, th- I think that what prompted Paul to speak of the need for fathers here specifically is the need for guidance and maturity in the church because he's seeing what's happening here and the immaturity that's happening with the Corinthians and he's saying, you guys need fathers. There's division, there's strife, there's pride that's running rampant and no surprise then that that happens and what happens, it welcomes this whole thing of judgment in the church. Judgment will always arise when there's pride running rampant. And this is where spiritual fathers play such a crucial role in pointing people back to Jesus. Simply being servants in the midst of the people. Paul tells them, he says, the reason that he sent Timothy to them is that they would be reminded of his ways in Christ. So that's why I sent Timothy to you. I wanted him to be that. So spiritual fatherhood, it comes as a result of men following the ways of Jesus as outlined in these verses and in scripture. It's about making intentional, intentional decisions in our lives as men to live this way. It, it is not about a title. It's not about something. Uh, it's, it is about simply living for Christ in a way that you are raised up. I want to I end with this. Um, in, in verse 20 there, Paul reminds the Corinthians, kind of comes back and, and he reminds, he says something that wrote, like he said in, in chapter two. He says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. In, in chapter two there, he talked about how f- faith that rests in the power of God. So there's this thing about, Paul keeps going back to, you need power. It's not about words, it's not about talk. You need the power of God at work. Power to live differently. Uh, Here's a question I have for us. Do we believe that the church can be different? 
do you believe that the church can be different? Do you believe that, that we can actually, when Paul says there to the Corinthians, like, is, there anything, is there anything different in you? Do we believe that there's something different in us? Do, do you believe that, that we don't have to experience the gut punch of judgment in the church? That we can actually strive to live differently? Will stuff happen? Yes. Will there be, will there be things that happen where misinterpreted, things that are misconstrued? Yes. But can we live in such a way that we don't, we make decisions not to judge and we make decisions to deal when we feel judged in a way that's mature and in a way that, that welcomes the presence of Jesus? Do we believe that? Do we believe in the power of God to change you and change others? Did Jesus rise from the dead and does he have absolute authority to work miracles in our lives? That's, that's the question. And perhaps you're here today and you needs to begin you're saying, I need to actually give my life to Jesus. I actually need to make a decision to follow his way. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads together. Let's, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus this morning, and you go, I need, I need the power of Jesus in my life, I need the way of Jesus. I need that power so that I don't operate in these sinful patterns anymore. Paul's saying, and God is saying, there is power available. You do not have to live this way. Jesus, we come before you and we recognize you are Savior and Lord. You are everything that we need. Jesus, we submit to you, we admit where we are sinful people in need of a Savior. Jesus, forgive us. Jesus, set us free. Jesus, make us more like you. And Jesus, would you fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit so that we live out of your power and not out of our own reserves. Amen.